Hey, Rockheads. This is Music to Code by Track 12. Check this out. Oh yeah, just what you need to get in the zone when you write code. And get this, we just added a site license. Download it once, share it with everybody in your office. Check it out at musictocodeby.net. Net Rocks, episode 1297, with guests Sam Basu and John Bristow. Recorded Friday, April 29th, 2016. And welcome back to .NET Rocks. I'm Carl Franklin. And I'm Richard Campbell. And here we are again for another hour of happiness and joy and happiness. And uh, Sam Basu and John Bristow, our good friends, are here to talk about the community. Nice. Yeah. And they have data. <laughs> I like data. I'm a data kind of guy. They're not just opining. They're not just going to make it up. No. No, we've got, <laughs> we've got a good show here. They're sitting on the line. Uh, before we get started, though, we have a few items of business. And the first is Better Know, a framework. Awesome. All right, buddy. What framework do I need to know? Well, <laughs> this is fun. This is show 1297. So if you go it to 1297.pwop.me, you'll see the story that was published today. That's right. A weasel apparently shut down the Large Hadron Collider last night. (laughs) (laughs) We've got superconductors (laughs) and proton colliders and some rat bit through a wire. Well, basically, it went offline overnight and engineers investigating the mishap found the charred remains of a furry creature near a (laughs) gnawed through power cable. (laughs) Oh, jeez. <laughs> what do you think the last thing that went through that thing's mind was? His tail, yeah, really. It's, it's his stomach. Yeah. How much power? Uh, How much energy there? Foof. That's yeah. all I got to say. Poof. And we made instant Kentucky Fried Chicken. So they believe it was a weasel, but then an update to the story says an official briefing document from CERN indicates a creature may have actually been a Martin. So, oh, <laughs> it was unrecognizable. It was, it was the charred remains of a furry creature. <laughs> That's not funny. No, it's horrible. It's kind of like when you leave the steak on the Barbie and go shopping. <laughs> <laughs> it's not going to end up well. For you got to stop using those power cables that taste good, clearly. <laughs> We thought we were discovering the Higgs boson, but we actually found a fried weasel. The the plastic in those cables actually tastes like weasel chow. So (laughs) apparently (laughs) Purina weasel chow. 
Oh, man. Okay. I just thought that was silly. And, you know, we are recording this April 29th. So by now, probably everybody's heard about it, but it just tickled me today. Well, I know I've I've been looking. I have a Google search running all the time for fried weasel. (laughs) (laughs) And there it is. There you go. Who's talking to us today, Richard? Grabbed a comment off of show 1192, the one we did with Sam when we talked about native script. Right. That was back in September 2015. Lots of good comments on the show. Uh, one that really tickled my fancy just from a thinking perspective was from Mike, who said, something that wasn't specifically discussed and about which I'm curious, can the JavaScript logic of a native script app be dynamically updated? I have a client whose mobile app is merely a native shell around their mobile website. They won't go full native or even hybrid unless they can dynamically update their application logic on customer handsets independent of UI changes, and they consider this in a competitive advantage. In their view, waiting for Apple to approve an update and then for the app to be upgraded on the customer handset is unacceptable. It takes too long and degrades their ability to deliver customer-specific application modifications in a same-day manner. Hmm. And uh, and I appreciate Sam himself actually responded to this and said, hey, look, like we build hybrid apps, which means you have to go through the store. But right. it, when I read this comment, it got just got me thinking about here we are in this continuous delivery world mm-hmm. and you got to wait a week for Apple to look at your code or any store for that matter. Like it's an interesting problem now I to actually think in terms of I want to be able to continuously deliver quality and, and deliver new features to customers to phones. It's just not fast right. enough. Right. And, and I also know, I mean, I know why that delay is there. That delay is there to make sure it's safe, right? The customer yeah. expects it to be safe. But I guess we need more choices here, or at least the system has to go faster. Okay. So, Mike, thank you so much for your comment. I think it was really an interesting thought about what this is supposed to look like in the future and what your customers expect and what your, your developers are doing. A .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .NET Rocks.com or via any of our social media. We publish every show to Facebook and Google+. And if you comment there and we read it on the show, we'll send you a mug. And definitely follow us on Twitter. He's at Rich Campbell. I'm at Carl Franklin. And send us a tweet. We feed them to the weasels around Pop Studios. <laughs> <laughs> Electrify your tweet. I'm looking for a 100 kilovolt tweet. Something that can get some air. I want space weasels. I'm sorry. Oh, my yep. god! Recording on a Friday afternoon. What could go wrong? I'm just going to go get some scotch. If this is the direction this is going in, I'm going to get some scotch. I'm drinking decaf. I don't know what's decaf. wrong with you people. Okay. Yeah. All right. That brings us to our guest. Sam Basu is a technologist, author, speaker, Microsoft MVP, gadget lover, and developer advocate for Telerik. With a long developer background, he now spends much of his time advocating modern web mobile cloud development platforms on Microsoft and Telerik stacks. His spare time calls for travel, fast cars, cricket, and culinary... Is that darts or with the bat? No, with the bat. With the bat. The real stuff. And culinary adventures with the family. You can find him on the internet. That's all we're going to say about that. (laughs) John Bristow is a principal developer advocate with Telerik and lives in Australia. Prior to joining Telerik, he was a senior developer evangelist with Microsoft. Short and sweet. That's what we like about John. Welcome, guys. Hey, thanks for having us on the show. Might be hard to beat the whistle story. (laughs) You know, I've been listening to this show for a long time, and I have to say... Nothing's changed. You guys are still as crazy, still as crazy, still as funny as always. I love it. 
Well, you know, um, it, only when you're on, John. Actually, we were very serious most of the time, but I, I seem to recall the last time or one time you were on the show was like during a live weekend or something, and it just went off the rails. These are all lies. Lies. <laughs> oh, that live weekend. Holy man, I forgot about that. Yeah, I don't even think we published that show. <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> there wasn't really much to it after. There were a few, you know. Yeah. What did we do? 36 shows in three days? Yeah. And yeah, I think maybe 28 of them saw the light of day. A couple expired, right? That whole conversation we had with Chris Oslo, oh, actually. Right. Chris sells about Oslo, actually yeah. died. So yeah, they yeah. had to go away. That's funny. All right. Well, anyway, this show promises to be chock full of nutritional value. You guys did some uh, research, some surveys about the .NET community. Tell us about that. Yeah, so maybe give you, let me give you the backdrop here. So it's 2016, and um, I think there is a, a fair amount of flux in the .NET uh, community in terms of technologies in which uh, directions in which Microsoft is going. And most of it is uh, future-facing and great. But, I mean, there is some hesitation, obviously, for from developers sometimes. Mm -hmm. So at the start of the year, we thought, why not try to get a pulse of the community? Why not uh, try to get a feel of what developers are liking and not liking? What are their tools of the trade? How are they going about learning things? How are they picking their technology stack for web, desktop, and mobile? So we put together a little survey. It wasn't actually very little. It's like a 30-question thing. But it, it was pretty quick for you to uh, go ahead and take it. And how did you get people to take it in the first place? Sure. So this is actually nice because it's not biased in any way. It was simply a link that showed up when you visited Telerik.com. Right. So oh. completely unbiased. Now, most folks uh, are possibly customers or coming to us uh, to look for tools made by Telerik. So you could see a slight inclination towards like enterprise developers, but really it was like open on the web. So anybody could take it. Yeah. Right. But yeah, you're not going to find a lot of um, Python guys hanging out on the Telerik side either. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. So here we are. Uh, it was like a, a survey that took maybe 10, 15 minutes of your time. And uh, we compiled it all. It was about close to like 2,000 people who took the survey. Nice. Uh, so we put it all together. And uh, our designers are tremendous in terms of their uh, innovative skills. So they put this together into a very shiny report that makes us look uh, very nice. And we added some commentary and insights to it. So uh, you can actually find this report. Uh, it's it's uh, it's live if you head out to telerik.com forward slash campaigns and or just search for like the developer survey report of 2016 and you'll land up on the community report page. Okay. Um, so essentially it's a, it's a one uh, big PDF that kind of breaks it down and we go by technologies, we go by developer tools and we try to give you a little bit of insight behind what we find are the answers and where people are leaning towards uh, in their tools of the trade and technologies. Mm. And so just looking at the first page, the demographics are interesting that the majority of people that took the survey had 11 to 20 years experience. Yeah. And 25, that's 27%, 25% had more than 20 years and 21% had six to 10 years. So that's really great because as we learned, Richard, in the show with that we did with Uncle Bob, the majority of developers out in the workforce have five years or less of experience. Right. Well, and just, I think... There's, there's good news and bad news there. It's like there's not a lot of lot young developers that took this survey. You know, it's not a lot of young developers or new developers mm. hanging out on the Telerik side anyway. So, yeah. you know, we're skewed old. Right. But educated. Sure. Yeah. And possibly more uh, kind of tuned to what the reality is for many enterprises and development right. shops. Mm -hmm. uh, heavy C-sharp bias here. Holy man. Yeah. 
So one of our questions was, uh, what is your primary programming language of choice? And keep in mind, we are asking the .NET folks. We are not asking the JavaScript folks. And right. massive C-sharp bias, 83%. And I think, I mean, this kind of reflects what the most of the .NET community is doing. I think sure. that ship has sailed. Um, I, I actually just came back uh, from Xamarin Evolve uh, yesterday. And uh, some of the new features like Mads and uh, Dave Campbell came by and they talked about C-sharp 6 and going into C-sharp, the next version. And some of the things they're doing is uh, really really fun. So it's not uh, surprising to see the maturity of C-sharp uh, to a point where it's it's hard to add stuff to it. It's, I mean, it's very, very matured. And um, really with the addition of Xamarin and all types of cross-platform tooling, C-sharp is now a language which lets you target anything. I mean, it, it, it feels funny to say this, but it really is any platform, any device you can target with C-sharp. Yeah, it's a, we, we like to say it sort of has fulfilled the dream or the mission originally of Java. But uh, yeah. interesting to point out that VB, 12%. Yeah, C-sharp, 83%. VB, 12%. Well, it's still low. It's shockingly low, actually, yeah. you know, if you think about well, the history. It's sort of both ways on that. It's like, in some ways, I also think, like, that's more than I would have thought. Yeah. I, yes. I mean, we knew that the the numbers were dwindling and dwindling, but uh, but that's that's more than we thought. If you take a look at the, that data, it could be uh, for a number of reasons. Obviously, C-sharp is the lion's share of documentation that's generated by Microsoft. Yep. It's pretty much every demo you see on stage from Microsoft. Uh, yeah. It's every article that's written. Uh, in terms of VB, however, I think that there's still a lot of apps that were written, ported um, back in the day when .NET first came out uh, that are still maintained. And so there's probably some of that legacy hanging around. Uh, yeah. I don't know if, if new projects are being built with BB. We didn't ask that question. Uh, we just right. asked a generic, like, what's your primary programming language? So, so that's true that even though C sharp is the primary programming language, uh, many of these may have been XVB developers or still be maintaining VB code bases. Sure. Interesting. Or the, or that 12% represents those are the guys maintaining VB.net apps. Well, but the question was, what's your primary programming language? Right. So, yeah, and if that's what they do for their job is maintaining VB apps, yeah, I can see. Another question we probably could have asked is, what language would you prefer to use? Uh, but we didn't. Right. Right. Yeah. Tell me you're not staggered by this WinForms number. Holy man. <laughs> Uh, I, as a ex WinForms guy, no, uh, I actually, a, 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 an old grizzled part of my heart, uh, was, was taken to that number. I, I actually enjoyed the fact that there are some, some WinForm developers out there still chugging away, uh, still using the doc some. system. Still, yeah. <laughs> 42% so, uh, of desktop developers still building in WinForms, a product that hasn't yes. been worked on in how long? Well, uh, you know, it's it's still out there. It's still still chugging away. Um, it, to be fair, I mean, forty six percent of respondents use WPF, and eight percent of respondents use UWP. Um, but certainly, there is um, you know a very very healthy marketplace out there for WinForms development. But what that says is, of Windows desktop developers, forty six percent WPF, forty two percent. But there could be four desktop developers out. You know what I'm saying? Like it doesn't necessarily mean it's a big pool of people. It just means as a percentage of the total pool that are doing Windows desktop development. Am, am I wrong about that? No, no. Uh, I think the the total numbers were significant and statistically significant enough to validate that number. Mm. Um, but I think that. 
In, in general, if we were to speak a little bit about the technologies themselves, I think WPF for a lot of folks at the time it was introduced was a bridge too far. It, you know, yep. this whole concept of XAML and, um, you know, all the new types that were available as part of .NET Framework. For a lot of folks, they just want to drag and drop. They just wanted to crank something out and get something written really quickly. And still, I think to a lot of folks, uh, that's a very uh, nice notion. Now, obviously, the tooling around WPF and UWP is is gotten substantially better since since the early days. But I think that a lot of respondents are still using WinForms to a certain extent because of its simplicity. It wasn't it Rocky Laka, Carl, who said, I'd forgotten how productive WinForms were until I had to go work on an app again. It's just yeah. like, <laughs> I know the tooling's gotten better for XAML and stuff, but if you actually spend a little time in the WinForm designer, you're like, holy crap. You yeah. may be building yeah. Battleship Gray Forms, but you're building them really fast. Well, and, yeah. you know, to Telerik's credit and Developer Express and other companies that do tools, they sell still sell a lot of Windows Forms tools, and a lot of them uh, are about making Windows Forms not look like Windows Forms. Yeah. Like true. Battleship <laughs> Gray. Yeah, and that, that is a surprise, Richard, how, how these things are not Battleship Gray anymore, because the UI yeah. has come a long, long way. Oh, absolutely. We, in fact, we actually have a, when Metro first introduced, was introduced back in the day, uh, the old design language or what the, we used to call the old design language for, I think was Windows 8. Um, the engineering team on the WinForms side decided, oh, well, let's bring this to WinForms because there was nothing existing on that side. So they actually have a, a Metro-like UI uh, integration with WinForms. And so, you know, you can make WinForms sing and dance, you know, it, it will it will be like a barking seal if you'd like uh, to uh, to do whatever you want. So, I mean, we, we see this, uh, to your point, Richard, uh, internally as well. So with Telerik, we have DevCraft, which is the umbrella product that has all of our .NET tooling for developers. And uh, a gigantic percentage of uh, our customers are still using WPF and WinForms. So even though Microsoft may have put something special like WinForms on maintenance mode, I mean, WPF, they're still cranking out. Uh, these are massive technologies in terms of popularity, uh, especially on the desktop. And when it comes to like WPF, uh, you see a lot of these um, like touch-friendly apps uh, being built in WPF and you won't know that these are not UWP or like the modern apps because they behave just like it. So like train stations and any of these kiosks, I mean, WPF fits the bill pretty well. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I, it's, it's also exciting to see that WPF is getting some traction finally after what, 10 years. I mean, the first versions of Avalon we saw in 2006. So, yeah. you know, yep. thank goodness for that. Um, the web data is pretty compelling too, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's nice to see responsive web is something people believe in and are actually doing. Yeah, that's not a hard sell, really. Well, yeah, I'm with you, but it's not a trivial thing to get it right. Uh, I, you and true. I have both battled web pages that you get to actually get them to render in different form factors well. It's not a small thing. The fact that people are taking it on makes me happy. Makes me happy too, yeah. It might still be the lowest hanging fruit for some line of business apps, right? And I mean, you have frameworks that help you out. You have Bootstrap and you have a lot of the, like the Telerik UI and I'm sure other people's UI controls, which are very responsive. So if the tooling catches on, maybe your job becomes slightly easier. Sure. That helps. Well, I do remember when you guys first released Kendo, it just took off like gangbusters because I think folks were afraid of HTML5 and you had an answer. Yeah, the original intent of, of Kendo UI was, was certainly to help people realize that vision, uh, by simplifying, by providing components that made it easier. And in general, that's a lot of what we do at Telerik is to provide those components so that you don't have to worry about taking on those big challenges. I mean, I've always said that 
if you're spending your time coding up widgets uh, that go beyond the uh, original feature request or, or requirements that your boss has handed to you, you are no longer working for that company. You are now, I guess, your own ISV right. building out your own widgets. Because for the price <laughs> that you'll... For the price that you'll spend uh, on a widget, for example, um, or a component library or something like that, uh, that's, you know, m- roughly for the same cost of a, of a developer's time during the day. Um, you'll have this, you know, heavily, heavily tested, heavily robust uh, feature library uh, from from an ISV. So, um, but in terms of, of response, just getting back to your original observation there, Rich, um, you know, that, that idea of responsive web design, uh, has permeated across other platforms as well. You're seeing this inside of UWP apps as well, uh, on Windows 10. Yes. I mean, that's one of the ways I think of UWP, right? Is it's responsive design for desktop. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So that's definitely an idea that's, that has legs. Well, and, and maybe I read these graphs backwards because we talked about the WPF Windows form split first because that represented when you asked this question of what are you primarily developing apps for was 49% of people building responsive web. So, you know, multi-form factor web, 45% building desktop web. So sort of traditional web. And then 30% were Windows desktop developers still. And of that, they sort of split 46, 42 win WPF right. win forms. Right. Yeah, that, yeah, that breakdown is interesting. And that's all, those are all compelling numbers. I it's hundreds of people you got referenced there. So I can see why these numbers line up so coherently. Mm-hmm. And the UWP number, I mean, does make me a teeny bit sad. And I'm sure it's, it's on the up, upward, uh, curve. And I think well, there's nowhere like else to go, this. is there? <laughs> right. But at the same time, if you, if you look at the promise of what UWP brings to the table, like right at once and it runs on every Windows device today, uh, going like from a HoloLens to, uh, to an Xbox, I mean, that's an incredible promise. And I think it's, it's going to be, uh, a lot more, uh, maturity of the tool set and a lot more achievement of the promise that will eventually make desktop developers go and say, Oh, I can actually build this on .NET Core and UWP and I don't need to, uh, use WinForms or WPF. Mm. Yeah, I th- I just think it's too early. I mean, we're recording this only a few weeks after build. And, the, you know, that's really when the UWP for Xboxing even came true. I, I don't want to talk about the phone. It just makes me sad. So, you know, the idea that we have multiple platforms to deploy to is only just now coming true. Yep, true. There is one point I do want to make, and that's to your listeners who are probably some of them who are maybe targeting WinForms or some of the quote unquote older technologies. Um, I think the, the thing that comes across in the survey for me is, Hey, don't worry. You, you're not alone. You know, yes. there's, right. there's other yeah. people I totally like agree. building. Absolutely. Yeah. I look at this and think, have we done enough WinForm shows? Yeah. I, that's <laughs> what I think too. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's a notion in the industry, especially amongst people who are building in small teams and maybe get most of their information online. If it, how else would you feel, right? Like if you're seeing every article that comes out, every podcast that gets published featuring the latest and greatest, you'd feel kind of like, wow, I, I, I'm, and I'm, and I'm here. I am stuck building whatever it is I'm building and maybe right. considered an old tech. Like when was the last WinForms, uh, article you saw, right? That was, that yeah. was published recently. But there's a reason for that though. And that is, haven't we discovered all there is to discover about the mysteries of WinForms? I mean, there isn't any innovation really happening there. 
It's a good question, but I, I mean, it's, it's, it's all about the practicality of it. Um, mm-hmm. is WindForm still a viable technology for 2016 app development? I would say probably. I mean, it depends on, it really depends on your requirements, obviously. It, you know, it depends on where you're pushing this thing out to. It depends on what are your long-term strategies are, how, how much time, how much money do you have to build these things out? I mean, you can certainly argue that in favor of WPF, uh, certainly. Right. All right. Well, let's ask the listeners. Let's ask yeah. the listeners. <laughs> if, if you think that we should do some more stuff on Windows, forms and particularly what like what mysteries haven't we uh, addressed so far I think leave building a, a modern ui with WinForms would be the thing leave a I, comment I've, yeah send us an yeah. email yeah i think i think another challenge there obviously is deployment uh i know that the electron guys are working on this uh click once uh, and, and other technologies that are out there i laugh because um i've had a lot of experience with that um deployment still to be, still remains a challenge even for legacy technologies so uh, that's a, that's something else that uh, possibly people could target with that. Okay, should we move on to JavaScript? Yes, please. Yes, please. Do you use JavaScript at work? 74% said yes. For side projects, wow. 19% said yes. Only experimental, 9%. Never, 8%. That's that's a lot of JavaScript. You know, I mean, the, the success of JavaScript is having a tremendous impact on the .NET stack. And I would say .NET is having a really big impact on JavaScript as well. True. True the other way around, too. Yeah. You know, I, I would love to talk to these 8% of folks who would never touch JavaScript. Like, yeah. our customers have JavaScript turned off in browsers, and we are not doing it. <laughs> and yet they were on your website <laughs> filling out a survey. <laughs> something funny about that. Well, and there's still some people out there with some serious scars. JavaScript hurt us back in the day. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the framework, your chosen JavaScript core framework for web development would be Angular 56%. Just total dominance there, right? Like that's crazy. Yeah. The second yep. most popular answer was I wouldn't develop web apps with JavaScript. <laughs> <Jesus>. <laughs> Same folks. We would render everything server side and just yep. like ship HTML to you. Next is Knockout and something else tied at 8%. Next is React at 3%. Aurelia, a measly 1%. Mm. I think Aurelia has just a marketing problem. I don't think it has a technology problem at the oh, moment. Oh, it definitely it's doesn't just, have a technology I think it's just too new, right? I mean, Angular's been beating the drum for a long time. They are on version 2. They did a couple of revs of 1. They've had the time to dominate in, in the, the, the framework space. And they're Google. They've got a lot of power yeah, behind them. That's true. You know, if it hadn't taken so long for Angular 2 to come out, I, I would have seen this number to be even higher. I, you know, I, it would have been on par with the, uh, with, with C sharp as the primary language, I feel. I think the reason why Angular's number isn't so high in this response is because of the fact that it's taken so long for 2 to ship. Yeah. Also got to mention Ember, Meteor, and Backbone are all at 1%. Now, remember, this is all people that went to Telerik's website. So, um, yeah. I mean, is there something about your stuff that works better with Angular than any of these other frameworks? Well, our choice in terms of that is is we, we try to be agnostic as best as possible. We originally shipped a number of our controls with Angular support, and React was something that we saw coming in more and more as time went on. Yeah. Uh, nowadays, our approach for that is to ship both Angular and React support. So out of the box, the uh, the future releases of, of Kendi UI uh, will support both. We ha- currently have support for Angular and Angular 2 in Kendi UI, but um, that will start to adopt React in the future. Uh, NativeScript uh, supports Angular out of the box as well. We have integration there. 
uh, React with NativeScript, that becomes a bit of a kind of an interesting sort of solution, um, simply because of the fact that uh, there are solutions out there like React Native. Um, and, you know, that would, that would beg the question, like, why would you guys do something like that? Mm-hmm. Um, but Angular, for, for sure, on the .NET side is extremely popular for good reason as well. I mean, it's a great framework. Uh, it certainly was back in the 1.0 days, 1, 1X days. Uh, with 2.0, I think a lot of people are really excited of, of seeing what, where it's going. I think Google has done a lot of great work there. Uh, and I think it coming up, I think definitely 2016 will be uh, a, a really either make it or break it year for Angular in terms of adoption, mass adoption on the 2.0 side. They've really got a big challenge ahead of them. But I think that uh, we're, we're pretty excited about where things have gone and we're pretty, we're pretty um, bullish on its future. Yeah, and to John's point, I think um, we, we don't want to hold your hands back, right? We will start shipping Angular and React components, but I mean, I've used uh, Kendo UI with Knockout and Backbone, and things work just fine. I think where uh, a lot of Angular's uh, success, especially with the .NET folks, lies uh, partly because of the Microsoft endorsement of Angular. I mean, you see Brad Green and his team uh, at uh, MVP summits and major Microsoft conferences. I think it's, it's a very open acknowledgement that it's it's nice to have Angular in your dotnet stack built-in typescript for crying out loud right exactly yeah hey richard yeah buddy guess what time it is scotch time no way (laughs) (laughs) Uh, must be that happy time again you bet it's time to avow that i will not make one more joke about burnt weasels (laughs) in fact i believe we should prevent weasel cruelty wherever we find it Let's look at the data and try to ferret out these unfortunate incidents. Save me. I'm not mousing around here. You don't have to work at CERN to smell a rat, folks. Just look around. You'll find the smoking capybara. Uh, uh, I need another drink. Yeah. Enough of that public service announcement. I think this is the episode where uh, .NET Rocks finally discovers its mascot. Uh, I thought you were going to say jump the shark, but okay. There you go. Nope. Oh, definitely not. I wasn't going to say that. Jump the Martin. <laughs> it's actually time to give away a Telerik DevCraft collection to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But first, do you know Swift, Objective-C, and Java? Can you use them in tools like Xcode and Android Studio? If so, awesome. For everyone else, there's NativeScript, a cross-platform framework for building native iOS and Android apps using skills you already have, JavaScript or TypeScript, CSS, and a XAML-like XML markup. Build the mobile apps you've always wanted to build. Use the NativeScript CLI for free, or use NativeScript inside of Visual Studio with a Telerik platform subscription, which enables you to build iOS apps without the glowing Apple. Get started for free at nativescript.org. Well, all right, buddy. Who's our winner? Today's winner, Richard, is Sven Nipsel. Congratulations, Sven. Yes. Golf clap for you, sir. Golf clap for you, Sven. And Sven just won the Telerik DevCraft collection. That's a big pile of awesome from our friends at Telerik. And if you don't know what we're doing here, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the .NET Rocks fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world. and every show, we like to give away stuff from our sponsors like Telerik. And every December, we give away a $5,000 technology shopping spree to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But you have to sign up to win. All right, guys, it's your turn. Let's start with you, Sam. If you had $5,000 to spend today on technology, what would you buy? 
All right, I'm going to maybe have a more practical answer because I know last time we talked, I asked for a, a windshield that was uh, completely night vision enabled. Nice. And that's not, and that's mm. not happening anytime soon. Although I did see um, uh, like a little, um, what's that called? Uh, it's like a patent that goes out uh, that kind of talks about this stuff. So it might be coming sometime, but maybe a, a hazard. But you know, <laughs> on a much more realistic front, I think I will take um, two of these 27-inch uh, IMAX with the Retina 5K. Ooh. Gorgeous displays. I'll stack them side by side. I don't need their computing power. I just need the displays. And it's ah. sad that Apple doesn't let you just buy the displays. Nice. Okay. And and by the way, you know, Mercedes does ship night vision assists, right? Like they... Yes, yes. Mm. Several do, like uh, Audis and Cadillacs, uh, the several yeah. do, but it's, it's a small thing. Um, while in, in one of the movies, I think I saw, like, where you could t- totally turn off your headlight and just go because your entire windshield is night vision. Fancy. Wow. All right, John, your turn. Well, I, I, I'm a, a fashion, uh, ignorant of fashion. And so uh, I think, you know, whatever Hollywood does these days, a Hermes bag or a Birkin bag, possibly a weasel carrier might go well. <laughs> <laughs> so something like that. Yep. I can see that costing about five grand. Okay. Yeah. Made of what? Uh, and, I mean, in the end, weasel? the only thing you need to carry a crispy weasel is a paper bag. Right. That, that is true. I'm talking about a live weasel here, Rich. And some salt. <laughs> he needs salt. Just saying. <laughs> Have we beaten this joke to death? Is this is this it? I hope. Is so. there anything left in the carcass? I hope. I hope it's done now. <laughs> you, always, you always knock a few more ashes off that carcass. <laughs> yeah, this is going to be known as the Weasel Show. I, I there you go. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, I love that you asked some questions about ASP.NET because you know we we've done a bunch of shows around the changes in ASP.NET and yeah. Yeah, yeah, and and, uh, and people were freaked out, but this seems like everybody's all in now, or at least mm. the third, two thirds of them. I think it's they're turning a, a corner, and uh, I think it all started with uh, like lots of Microsoft folks going to JavaScript conferences, their interns showing up with Macs and saying, "Hey, how? Why do I need to get this giant walled garden before I can even start?" Mm. So they had to do something with ASP.NET as popular as it was. They had to change directions and make it. I mean, lowered the barrier to entry so anyone, anybody could get in. Sure. And I think that's what's happening with uh, the next version of ASP.NET. And uh, I mean, folks are excited now. And 10% yeah. were upset because of cheese <laughs> being moved. 24, 21 to 24% don't care. They'll keep using what they know about ASP.NET. And that's the good thing, right? I mean, so if you are a traditional uh, web forms or an MVC developer and you spend your entire days in uh, Visual Studio, it's nice to know that your experience will be sort of uh, kept unchanged going forward. You will still be able to do finally project, have all the stuff ready mm-hmm. and hit F5 to run your apps and nothing would have changed. Well, I think that I think the four of us know that uh, given the history of Microsoft in terms of its developer tools, one thing that we know about Microsoft that it does extremely well is it, it preserves the developer experience going forward in most cases. It right. does a very good job of uh, helping people along for the ride, if you will. Uh, I think that what we've seen recently with um, ASP.NET Core and uh, the changes that have been made there, uh, I think there's a lot of watching of how the sausage is being made right now. Mm. But I think eventually once we get to our 1.0 state, uh, I think people will gradually move towards that and really not see much of a difference. The font hasn't changed. So that's, that's good. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> no, it's, it's actually incredible what's being done right now. I mean, talking about the sausage being built, I mean, they are literally setting up .NET for the next 10 years and it's yeah. no sure. small yeah. Right. 
Yeah, and doing it in a way that is very persistent, right? I think it's uh, right. it's, a, it's important, the changes they're making. I, I'm excited about it. And there's still a third of the folks out there making good old-fashioned ASP.NET web form apps. That's yeah. right. So very much like our Windows form developer, Kin, we have yep. a lot of uh, web form developers out there building uh, applications. And so uh, the numbers that we saw around there for... Uh, developers targeting the web, um, they're going to continue to use web, web forms. Uh, 29% of our survey respondents said that they'll still be building new apps with it. Uh, 40% um, said that absolutely they're going to be using MVC. Um, so there's, there's a bit of a skew there. Um, and that, that's always existed. Uh, I think Hanselman did a good job of making the analogy, analogy back in the day of car versus motorcycle. Both get you to the destination, um, but they are two different developer experiences. Sure. But I think sure. ultimately, ultimately, in terms of survey data, what we're seeing here is that uh, there are a significant portion of, of respondents who are going to continue to use web forms. But the half, but half of between the ones that are already using MVC and the ones that intend to, it's a half to sixty percent. So yes, that are that want to move to the new tools. I find yes. it really interesting that twenty nine percent of responsive web developers still making new apps in ASP.web forms. There's another show mm-hmm. I've never done, Responsive Web Design for ASP.NET Web Forms. Well, if you think about mm-hmm. it, the responsiveness of it all happens, uh, you know, on the, on the client side. Right. And if you're, if you're careful about what you're spitting down from web forms, you can actually do it. I mean, it, it, you may not be using grids, you know, data yep. grids and things like that with all of those crazy binding stuff that we used to do, but... You can use uh, just the mechanism for doing a web form without any of those controls. Yeah. And or you can use Telerx controls. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's right. And to, to your point, Richard, I mean, this goes back to like productivity. I mean, it still is very productive to get a yes. website stood up with web forms. It's just, it, it's not your grandma's web forms anymore, and you can do modern things. Most uh, client-side uh, uh, controls, I mean, most controls are responsive on the client side. You ship less and less from the server side, and you are still running on the entire API canvas, which is .NET Core, or up in .NET 4.6. So you have access to everything, and it's very mature, and you get modern things like HTTP2, you get async model binding, and so on. So, I mean, Microsoft is still porting in Maybe trickling in um, love for web forms. So I think I think it's going to be uh, viable for at least the next ten years or I've, so. I've seen a lot of people use ASPX uh, files for services. Just take mm. out all the HTML. Just get the backend stuff. Don't use any of the you know the web form stuff, and then set the response.content type to whatever JSON text you're using, and uh, response write response end. And you've yeah. essentially made a service. I mean, it's not what it was designed for. Yeah, and this could be tied to one of the, I guess, uh, uh, techniques that most people use, like going from web forms to an MVC application. If we were to migrate, I mean, yes, you can go closer to the metal. You can use some of the HTML helpers, or if you are if you're going leading edge, you can go um, tag helpers. But primarily, you look at all of your server side code, and you slowly start turning them into a, like a web API endpoint so yeah. they can be more of a service endpoint and you can get more of the stuff from the service side by making a call. Right. Yeah, it was interesting how people just keep adapting what they know and uh, getting finding ways to use the new techniques. So let's talk about cross-plat. Yeah. The question was, how do you feel about being able to build and run .NET apps cross-platform? And this is uh, was asked of Windows desktop developers 38% said, this is real and amazing. 
However, 35% are cautiously optimistic. Next, 16%, no opinion. And 11%, just a party gimmick. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I think the folks who are being cautiously optimistic, I mean, I have nothing against them because, I mean, they are really waiting for the tool sets to mature. Right. And it's, it's, it's very gimmicky to show off some of this stuff that we can do with CLI. Mm-hmm. But, uh, command line is something we have been shielded, uh, from as a, as a Visual Studio developer. I haven't had a need to go command line in the last 10 years. And now you see ASP.NET and .NET CLI being built command line first. And all the cool kids are using the command line, yeah. apparently. <laughs> yeah, maybe it's a wait for some of the tooling to be mature. But I think, uh, everyone sees the promise that you could eventually take any .NET app cross platform. Well, in UWP, the name, this whole universal development concept has twisted and turned a few times over the past few years, which I think makes experienced developers, which are clearly the majority of filled in this thing, say, you know what? I'm just going to wait. Maybe something good will happen from this. Right. A number of us have been burned with uh, these, this promise of the, well, I guess for a long time, uh, Java uh, obviously espouses this this promise or belief in the fact that you can take your code and run anywhere. Xamarin, to a certain extent, um, also offers that possibility. There's a bunch of other toolkits as well, uh, Mono before that as well, um, that offered this. But as you got closer to the edges with these frameworks, sometimes they fell flat on their face. Uh, so I think that that's, that kind of attributes the fact that people are, are a little bit cautiously optimistic. Sure. Yeah. And uh, they're going to wait until the next definition of universal windows, right? Which has, as Richard said, changed in definition a couple of times. But it's, uh, you know, we, we, still, we still believe in, you know, their ability to get it done someday. And I think universal right now is very much within the Windows realm of things. And right. I think um, with the Xamarin acquisition, I think people are waiting to see, can I write one XAML UI that stretches across any device? And we're not there yet. Now, and the consensus is we probably won't be until the devices themselves get closer together. You know, until iPhone and Android simply look the same, which why do they have any incentive not to, you know, not to... Uh, diverge well do do they have to because i mean if your ui controls are smart enough they will render according to each platform yeah that's the question um some really good stuff coming out with xamarin forms that we are probably going to talk to somebody at xamarin about uh, they announced at evolve some new themes and things like that for xamarin forms that look better also custom controls which i know you guys are doing uh xamarin yeah. forms custom controls i guess there's now the ability to use controls where in the, in the past you'd have to do custom renderers, which is exactly. you know a level of detail that a lot of .NET developers would rather not go into. Yeah, and I think like two things are happening. Uh, the XAML side of things is getting uh, flattened out to a point where it's very similar. Like XAML informs XAML is, isn't exactly the XAML that you write for UWP or WPF, but it's getting closer. Yeah. Uh, and they have styles and themes. And uh, the ability to maybe just go dip into an iOS or an Android uh, framework if you know what you're doing and be able to render a native UI uh, just like that from your XAML informs app, I think that's, that's a promise that's going to be interesting. Yep, looks good. So moving on to the .NET Core and this whole open source story, I mean, I, I can't disagree with the 57% that say, whatever, <laughs> just maintain my dev experience. Right. Although the, the rest, the 43% say, woohoo. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think there's a disposition amongst developers, especially those who use .NET developer tools to be like, look, I've got, I've got work to do. You guys do whatever the heck you got to do. I'll do whatever the heck I got to do. And hopefully we'll meet somewhere in the middle. I think there's also a large percentage of developers who are like, this is awesome. I want to see innovations done. Mm-hmm. I think both audiences have valid points to be the way that they are. I think what Microsoft's doing around .NET Core is exciting. However, I'm also of the same camp, which is, look, don't move my cheese. Yep. Don't change anything too drastically. I need to continue to work. And I think Microsoft is very cognizant of that. Yeah. Yeah. Although, look, I mean, ASP.NET Core left web, web forms behind. That is not a small break. That is... But they, they've telegraphed it. We've talked about it for years. Remember that cheese? Yep. It's staying yes. where it was. We're going somewhere else. Right. Mm-hmm. Yep. Hmm. Interesting. And I, and I do appreciate this, the, the second piece of this talking about the app layouts and screens that, uh, half of the folks, uh, using basic framework elements really speaks to, we're not doing a lot of custom design. We're using templates like Bootstrap. Mm-hmm. Design will yep. come later. Yep. It will. Right. Whatever happened to like the Adobe stuff, the Adobe craze of web building, you know, what was all the stuff that they used and it was all based on flash. Yep. Yeah. Active script and all that. Well, jazz. and, uh, what, what's the Adobe program that I'm thinking of? Dreamweaver. Oh yes. man, that's, that's a flashback. <laughs> flashback. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that shit just ran down my spine there, Carl. But that was so popular, you know, and it so was, was uh, what was the other one that I'm trying to think of that was really high level? What's that? It's either front page or cold fusion. Like cold how deep fusion. Into- cold oh my fusion. God. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> but this is the level expectations that people have. They want draggy, droppy, designery. There's a website, you know, but. Well, that's where web forms came from too, right? It yeah. was all these non-web developers wanting to. F- to build stuff for the web without understanding the web. And I've said this before on Donnie Rocks. It might have been Jeff Fritz. I'm not sure who we talked to, but it was, can you see the day where we get back to something that works as productively as the web forms designer, yet doesn't do what web forms does, instead makes all client-side components and uh, and everything renders Ajax and asynchronously, and, and we're all REST services on the back end and, and responsive on the front end, like... Is that a possibility? It seems like that would be the ideal thing for these people. Yeah, to a certain extent, that's part of the promise of Angular 2. Um, if you look at sort of the, the, the literature around Angular 2, the design docs for Angular 2, one of the, one of the design goals for Angular 2 was to treat the web client, the web front end based on HTML as just simply one of many target points. Um, so yeah, I think we're getting closer and closer to that. All right, moving on. Devices and experience. The question is, what would you choose for building your dream mobile app? And this is interesting. And I like the way you guys have split it out into two camps, native mobile developers and hybrid slash compiled mobile developers. The uh, Among native mobile developers, no surprise, 45% said native would be their uh, tool for building the dream mobile app. Only 14% of the hybrid compiled mobile developers said native, right? But 41% of them said hybrid. Only 9% of native mobile developers said that hybrid would be there. So that's pretty much expected. Yeah, in other news, water is is wet, so to say. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But then cross-compiled native. And let's just be very clear in terms of what you guys meant by that. 
So I think it's a mixed bag because we're trying to break it down to really exactly what you're talking about. So native is native when it comes to iOS, Android, and Windows. Hybrid is when you're trying to use a web view type layout and you're trying to use HTML and CSS and JavaScript technologies to render your web view as an app and you're bundling it all up. Mm. Cross-compile is something like Xamarin where you're trying to compile it down to native code. And then there is the whole JavaScript native, which is where you're using JavaScript, but to make a native app like NativeScript, where you're using a virtual machine type of thing. So you got so many different options. And I think it's a mixed bag because a lot of folks uh, who can go native will obviously want to go native because it's your closest to the metal. You get beautiful experience. So why not? Uh, but I mean, the moment you go native, can you really go three platforms and cross platforms? So uh, this is where you need to look at tooling to see, can you really go cross platform with your, with your skills and can you really have one code base? And I think hybrid, as much as it um, sometimes gets a bad rap with the performance issues, I think, I mean, it's, it's not as big an issue. And definitely for line of business apps, it's, it's a low-hanging fruit and it's definitely a, a legit strategy. But you said something here which is really interesting about native script, which is your native with JavaScript uh, option, which wasn't very popular with either native or hybrid uh, developers. It's like is it's written with JavaScript, but it's running in a virtual machine as opposed to an app container. What's the difference there? Uh, so in the case of hybrid, as Sam said, you're running in terms of a web view. Uh, you're both, and in both cases, you're targeting the VM. The only difference in, in terms of that with, when you're doing native with JavaScript, what you're actually, there is no web view is the best way I like to describe it. There's that scene in the matrix where, where Neo walks into that room and there's that kid dressed up and he's saying, there is no spoon. Uh, the same thing applies for native with JavaScript. There is no web view. So it's kind of a, a bit of a mind shift for a lot of folks because when they think JavaScript, a lot of people automatically think DOM, they think HTML manipulation. HTML, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So in this case, what you're targeting are the native APIs of the platforms themselves. So if you're targeting iOS, you want to use AV Foundation, you can do so via JavaScript. If you want to utilize UI kit for uh, iOS, you can do so directly via JavaScript. Um, technologies like NativeScript allow that. So this is more like a, a, a Xamarin app where you're using, you know, uh, Android Studio and you're using Xcode um, to build the UI, but all of the code back from the UI back is written with JavaScript. Is that is that yeah. right? Yeah, it's a bit, it's a bit tricky. The, the key difference between Xamarin and uh, a solution that targets native with JavaScript is the cross compilation aspect. So in both cases of native script and React Native, we are still preserving your, your JavaScript and it actually ships as part of the app package itself. Uh, so that's running on the VM and utilizing hooks within each one of those VMs to target the native APIs exposed directly. Now, in the case of Xamarin, obviously that's doing cross compilation. Uh, so it's actually generating for you the IPAs, the APKs that that are uh, targeting for each one of those platforms, utilizing the native APIs. Um, so there is there are some subtle differences there. At the end of the day, though, I think for most developers, I think if you're a C sharp developer, you're going to lean more towards Xamarin. If you're a JavaScript developer, you're going to lean more towards native with JavaScript, and you have good solutions for both. Okay. And then finally, mobile web just means you're building a responsive website that's going to look good and work well on a mobile app. Yep. Yeah. Yep, you got it. In the interest of time, I, I want to move up to the tools here, but I wanted to pull one more thing out of the mobile conversation that you had, which was right at the end, you asked, if you were running the show, what would you do with Windows 10 mobile? And impressive to see the native mobile developers, almost 50% of them saying, 
fight to the death, make flagship phones and features. <laughs> Don't give it up. That's really kind of cool, wow. actually. It is because I mean we, we I mean Windows Phone has died several times over and uh, it still yeah. isn't dying because I think I mean it's it's an important part of Microsoft's strategy in terms of the continuum aspect of it in terms of UWP being able to run mobile and uh, I think they're going to keep at it and uh, yeah. you know I mean uh, Windows Central was reporting on uh, a potential Surface Phone next year we'll see but uh, I don't think they're giving up. Well, I, you know, it upset me that there was just no mention of Windows Phone at Build at all. You know, mm. there should be, I want there to be a strategy. I don't, it doesn't even matter if I don't agree with it. It's just like, they're not talking. And that, mm. that's, yeah. that's concerning to me. I, I think everyone loves an underdog. I think in, t- in case of this, uh, I think Windows 10 Mobile has a lot of potential uh, for the yeah, future. But there's, the, but there's underdogs and then there's what's that stuck between your toes? Yeah. Right. It's <laughs> unfortunate that, you know, Windows Phone, when you say that brand, everybody says, oh, well, that's dead. You know, there, yeah. there isn't any way to resurrect that brand, I don't think. And that's bad no, for I'm- Microsoft because <laughs> what is it if not a Windows Phone? You know, they're going to have to come up with some new brand for it. For something yeah, and, and they're not going to make up the app gap. Uh, the developer story has always been there, but if they can kind of go around this in a different way, if Windows 10 catches on big time with desktop, which it has, and then on HoloLens, on Surface, and on Xbox, and so on, and maybe it's just an extension of your app running on a mobile device. Right, maybe that's it. Right. All right, well, let's uh, spend a little time in the tools of the trade tools before of the trade. Uh, this hour is up. Is Visual Studio your primary IDE? .NET developers, 59% forever. Windows desktop developers, 64% forever. Nice. (laughs) Of .NET developers, 37% said for now, but I'm open to options. On the desktop developers, 32%. And then the other other ones are not really significant, not anymore. No, and it has never been between 1% and 3%. Yeah, for this audience. It's a Visual Studio audience. Yeah, so here, here's my take on Visual Studio. And I think we keep saying, like, uh, pointing at folks like Apple uh, for their walled garden. But really, Visual Studio has become a walled garden. If you look at the community edition, and if you happen to pick all the checkboxes, it's like a 40 gig install. It's big. And it's, oh, it's big. It's, it's a monolithic thing. But, like, once you're inside, it's beautiful. You got such a rich ecosystem with mm. NuGet and all types of uh, third-party tooling. You don't want to leave. So I think uh, you get a bit of this mentality, but at the same time, uh, the forward-facing folks will say, I like my lighter laptop. I do not want to have such a heavy install. I need a lightweight code editor, and I just let me let me fly. So that brings us to that second question. How do you feel about using a lightweight code editor instead of a full IDE? You know, we're talking about like Atom, Sublime, Visual Studio Code even. Uh, mm-hmm. Desktop web developers, 16% sure makes me productive. 26% I use both for specific tasks. 33% said open to it, but tooling is has yet to come of age. And 25% said not happening. Of the responsive web developers, pr- sure makes me productive. 22% I use both for specific tasks. 28% and open to it, 28% and not happening, 22%. So that... Yeah, the, Mixed bag, huh? Well, you know, those top two, sure makes me productive and I use both for specific tasks means they're both, you know, both those categories really say I use a lightweight editor. And on the desktop side, that's over 40%. Mm -hmm. And on the web side, that's almost 50%. That seems to me a pretty definitive thing. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and, and the folks who are saying, I'm just still waiting for it to come to age. And I think it's, it's a tricky thing for even Microsoft. So on one side, we want a 66 megabyte download, just an easy lightweight editor to go and begin with. But at the same time, once you're inside, you want your plugins, you want your extensions. So as you keep adding more stuff, your bloat grows, right? So it's, right, it's yeah. a light balancing act. Yeah. But I think, I think if you see some of the Roslyn powered things and if you see the plugin system now with uh, VS Code, I think it's, it's very compelling and you could essentially stay in VS Code all day and do your deployments and your builds. So it's, it's getting to a point where, uh, I mean, you can go around without having a full ID. Maybe a code editor is good enough. And, uh, just to wrap that up, the, uh, as far as the lightweight code editors that are most preferred, VS Code and Notepad plus plus are neck and neck at 34%. This actually blew our mind. Like, really? Notepad plus plus. Notepad plus plus. What? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Whatever floats your boat. Whatever. <laughs> that is pretty funny. All right. Uh, we're just about out of time. Is there anything you guys want to throw in there before we wrap it up? Yeah. So I think what this survey does is, I, as I said before, I think if you're a developer and you're feeling a little bit antsy about working on quote unquote legacy technologies, don't feel so bad. Uh, you're not alone. You know, this, this report, if anything says, Hey, you're amongst many people and, uh, don't be, don't feel compelled to gravitate towards the latest and greatest all the time. You know, what you're building has value. You're good enough. You're smart enough, et cetera. Uh, I think that, um, there's a lot of developers out there still building traditional applications using technologies that we thought were long dead. And that's part of the reason why Telerik provides controls for that. But the general, the general line I want to make to po folks listening to this is don't feel so bad. You're still built. You're still awesome. You're still building great apps. Right. Um, but always, as always, keep an eye to the future and, uh, be aware of what's going on. Subscribe to podcasts like this and read articles, et cetera. Keep up to date. Very good. Couldn't argue with that. Sam? Yeah. So my, my parting thoughts going to be exactly the same as John said. I think Microsoft is putting both their feet in like two different boats. One, uh, making sure the enterprise app developers are happy with their tooling. At the same time, they're wanting to be future facing. So, uh, package managers and all these build tooling, the influence of JavaScript inside of Visual Studio, all of this will come. But as long as, uh, your experience, your developer experience is kind of maintained your love for XAML and taking it places, all of those things come, uh, come together. I think you're going to be very happy as a doctor developer in 2016 and uh, going forward awesome sam basu john bristow thank you guys for being here with us today it's been great and you know richard uh, and carl one last thing i've uh, fumbled the url i think i found a found a shorter url so it's uh, the report is accessible as a whole as a pdf at uh, telerik.com forward slash 2016 dash report thanks for being with us guys hey thank thanks you so much. much all right and we'll see you next time on dotnet rocks .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and of course in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one recorded in September 2002. 
And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a